Hi, welcome to another episode of Watch Rewatch, the show formerly known as uh, I don't I don't know if I can say the name just for copyright reasons, but we had a different name the last episode. Now we have a new name. Uh, my name is Sean Sweeney, and I'm here with my co-host John Fraser. I'm John Fraser, uh, Sean Sweeney's co-host of Watch Rewatch, or as I like to call it, Watch Vid Vid Rewatch. That's it. That was a mirror version of my intro. So we're doing. That's the, I think going to be the theme of. Uh, well, it was going to be the theme of this episode, but we had a bit of a pivot. So we'll talk about that in just a sec. I'm just going to level myself off here a little bit. I'm uh, working the boards live mm. and, uh, you know, trying to remember which channel I'm on. So oh, my ears are dancing. That voice is just so soothing. Coming in a little hot, though. <laughs> Coming in a little hot. That's, so, that's uh, yeah, I guess this week, um, the format of the show, we talked about it a bit last week, but the idea behind Watch Rewatch is um, John is, is kind of the resident... Uh, film guru uh, between the two of us he's seen so many movies and I my, you know my name my name is Sean I'm repeating that for I'm some so reason. touched I just don't know what to say I want to hear all these compliments <laughs> that's coming it. back it's that's like... it butter you up real good um, <laughs> so I work in film myself but I'm actually a little bit less well versed when it comes to um, my back catalog of movies there's a lot of kind of staples I haven't seen and uh, this is where the show we kind of go through this. Uh, John is is often rewatching a lot of these films, and I'm watching them with fresh eyes. So that's kind of how we approach uh, what we're going to talk about. So uh, this week we usually do two movies, um, and I guess uh, we'll lay it out. We started off with the Howard Stern film Private Parts, which I think was 1997. I thought it was earlier. Yeah, I thought I thought so too. But then when I think of a movie and the release date it comes out on, I'm always thinking about. The year before, like it was, it was released in ninety seven March. I think the first Friday of March ninety seven, and then it, uh, and then I think Paramount by the end of that year released Titanic. So it's like they started off the year with Howard Stern in March, and then they finished off the year with Titanic. And so what a year, you know? Yeah, well, and and the private parts was actually a big success, which was surprising. Um, for an R-rated comedy. For an R-rated comedy, yeah. I mean, it did have a pretty big budget, but it, it made good money, although he had a, like a legion of fan in, in the fans in the 90s. I mean, it was... Uh, I mean, the, the, for us to watch... I mean, for me to rewatch it and you to watch it, it's like this was a movie that growing up you saw commercials for. I guess when you're in that ripe old age and you see all these adult comedies and, uh, I mean, Howard Stern is a name you hear everywhere in the 90s and then when your parent tells you you can't watch it, obviously you're going to want to watch yeah. it. And, and, I mean... Growing up, I wasn't fascinated by titties or anything like that, or sex with, or in the in the heteronormative sense. But still, like there was just something about the trailer to that movie. I think the first time I saw that trailer was on Channel Four, uh, the TV Guide channel, because TMN, the oh, movie yeah. network, would air. But here's the funny thing: they never aired the commercial or the trailer for the original. Like what Paramount, when Paramount created the trailer, I guess the movie network, uh, the Canadian HBO would recut it in in their own style. And so the trailer for the TMN version used ACDC's Rock You, uh, uh, Shook You All Night Long. And uh, <laughs> it just it, it just made this whole montage of all the uh, radio bosses yelling at Howard throughout the whole movie. And it just looked funny. And because I knew that Howard Stern was you're not, you're not allowed to watch it. There was yeah. just that element of not wanting to watch him. And so, you know, you watched it. And, and uh, so you watched it like around the time that it came out? I rented it again from uh, if you listen to last week's episode i lived next to a video store growing up five mm. movies for five days for five bucks it ended up being in my rotation once it ended up going from a new release to an old release and i think at that point it's like any movie that had two thumbs up by siskel niebert on the vhs box would immediately gain attention like oh maybe this is something worth watching and lo and behold you watch it and and i think i also had an affinity for paramount pictures even at 12 11 13 i think it was 
grade seven I watched it for the first time. And at that point, I think South Park, the show was on. And like, so I was at the right time to like appreciate all the uh, naughty word, uh, the seven dirty words, right? Uh, the George Carlin thing? Yeah, yeah, right. Because they say that in the uh, in the movie. It's like when Paul Giamatti's yelling at uh, Robin and the gang, he refers to the lawyers and they're like, no, uh, no, you can't say these seven dirty, uh, cock shit and pussy, something like that. Right, yeah. Shit, was it shit, piss, fuck, mother, cock, mother, sucker, m- motherfucker? Cunt, cock, and pussy. T- tits, fart, turd, and twat. I don't know. That's that's the <laughs> the, the Blink-182 song, which I think is referencing that. I can't remember. Um, yeah, that it's interesting because that the, the film, so you saw it pretty close to its release. I never saw it. I do remember the marketing for it, though, the Howard Stern. Clearly a body double, too. Like, way more jacked than Howard Oh, the poster is. of yeah. him. Yeah. Because, it's not him. No. And it, he's got the Empire State Building kind of as a phallus in front of him. And I remember that very specifically, the, the ads for the thing. And I never saw it. And, you know, I assumed it was some kind of, like, raunchy sex comedy. And it was funny because watching the film, it's totally the opposite. It's really a soft sell about, right. like, Howard being a nice guy and being sweet and being faithful he's to trying to wife. get uh, other voters in a sense it's like he's got he's got his registered voters but yeah. now he's trying to reach another market and it's yeah. like i remember i watched that movie um and laughed i mean i think the funniest part for me was just his his juvenile his juvenile treatment of the nbc bosses and the brasses and just like how he got away with so much and it's such a darling movie too because howard is such a like like a he's a ne'er-do-well like that from the beginning opening he's just yeah. like shitting on his own self and he's narrating the movie and yeah. then it you kind of fall into the 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 coziness of that kind of structure that plot because you've seen these kind of rags to riches story before but this is howard stern and i mean yeah i'm coming at it from not knowing the controversy or if anything about him well it's interesting too because i i really don't like howard stern i don't like his comedy i find it lazy and low effort but at the same time i respect his 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 you know genuine ability to hustle because you know, yeah, you, you think hustling. of well, and you think about what he built. I mean, uh, you know, us here sitting here doing a podcast. I feel like he kind of paved the way for a lot of that very confessional style. Yeah, maybe wasn't a super popular thing then. I didn't necessarily. I don't necessarily like all the other like exploitation stuff that he did. I'm not a huge fan of that, but I can at least respect that 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 veneer of honesty. Although I I always feel, and this is funny because my reaction watching the film is, I always feel like he's selling us on something, and I feel like this movie is selling us on how good of a guy he is. And yeah. I feel like he's a genius marketer, and I think that's what he's doing, is that he understands that he his raunch that works on the radio won't sell, so he's selling the softer side of Howard. So I feel like no matter what movie we get and the kind of the, the, the air of honesty he puts on, I feel like he's always selling us. He's always selling us the best image to, like, to 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 win over an audience, so and so like Ronch works for his his radio thing, and for the movie thing, he plays the softer side. But it's I think it's all an illusion. That's my read on him. But that was how what that's what I took away watching the movie, which was an interesting thing to watch because I was suspicious of his motives the whole time. Yeah, like he, I mean, what what would he have done? Like, what would you have expected him to do? Like to, well, you know what? Like I, it's not that. You know, I think they made the movie that made sense, that would make money, and that would play well. I think that, that I think that movie was cut like every day. I think that movie went through fifty million screenwriters, fifty it, it, million. It did. Shots I, or... I read about it after the fact, and yeah, it had a very protracted development process. And you can tell from that that I think what we ended up with was a very manufactured Howard Stern. Very stu- It was very very much a studio picture because, like, the one thing I took away from my rewatch of this was the. F- friggin soundtrack like 
songs, at least Big growing songs. older, the songs are just so expensive these days. Like yeah. I remember uh, Crazy, the Quebec movie, mm-hmm. half that budget was just, it's the it's, music, it's music yeah, from the yeah. 70s. And it's like in this movie, because I'm using Crazy as an example, but like when you watch that movie, they use those songs for their entirety. If you're going to buy the song, you might as well play them all out. Yeah. This movie was using them as like little cuts to signal that Howard is, you know, moving from one town to another. And it's yeah. just like throwaway just money. Like, yeah, you little know? bits of yeah. it. Yeah. And then I'm looking at it from Ivan Reitman's perspective because he produced it. And it's like, I mean, I think the trailer was like from producer Ivan Reitman. And so immediately, you're like, you, I guess if you're like me, you're like, oh, Kindergarten Cop, Ghostbusters. Yeah. Jason Reitman, who hasn't been there yet. And it's like, I think, private parts especially now that it's 20 years old is i just lord it is i just want to hug it because like regardless of what you think of stern i really appreciated the allison part and this comes into what i like doing is looking at it from the title like the movie is called private parts but Mm -hmm. the best part about those movies of that movie is are its private moments with allison and and howard because like allison the woman who played the cat mary mccormick who plays allison does this great job of just existing like she's not she's not uh, she's not a stranger in this universe. This universe, mm-hmm. I believe, every person exists in it. But like Allison was understanding and kind of human, and just under. And Howard, obviously, was a mon- like he's ugly and he's <laughs> yeah. he's, uh, he's lanky. And before he-, he got his veneers, I noticed that because he's got new teeth now. But in the movie, he, after the movie came out, he had a nose job. He had his teeth done. But this is like Howard when he still kind of looked weird. Um, and yeah, it was surprising seeing the, the the role of his wife in the film. I, I the whole thing, I, the one thing that surprised me throughout the film was um, there were more strong female characters than I would have expected for a Howard Stern. Absolutely, movie. right. I mean, this is no like feminist film. No, but it's, it's directed by a woman. Directed by a woman, and and has stronger female characters than you would expect. And the story, you know, I mean, it's yes, it has its like you know requisite female nudity, you know, like. But that's a, that's another part of Private Parts I didn't. Uh, immediately hook on to was the the jump from obscenity to sex like i just feel like he was always doing it for his audience and you never got you never got nbc or any of these radio stations being like our listeners are 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 dog shit or our listeners are just like trash heaps they only like garbage obviously because this is why stern is making so much money and so the movie never the movie never criticizes the audience they just know that there is one and stern apparently only plays one side just like um he wants to be uh, obscene and loud, and 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 to get as many listeners as he wants, and then ultimately that uh, it works for him. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I don't know. That movie ended up just being so wonderful, and I wanted to hug it. And it's like that's the opposite feeling, I guess, of what most parents or any adult want. Yeah. Well, even me, how I feel about Stern, I really don't. I, I don't like him. I listen to his show, and I think he's kind of a. Uh, depressed, you know, he's a he's a depressed. Well, he's weirdo. condescending know it all. I guess, yeah. like at least lately, it just he yeah. sits there and he just like he's in his seat and I imagine that armchair he's sitting in. It just has his ass imprint on it, you know, and it's just everyone. <laughs> well, and he has that weird like huge divide between him and the people he interviews. Was like a big like yeah. He t- well, that's console. cool. It's like you talk to him, like it's like oh, I'm talking to uh, uh, who? Who did he have that was hilarious? like it's not yeah, but I find like the way. Well, anyways, we're getting off track, but the the way he interviews now and stuff, I don't know. I but I've never been a fan of him. But the film, like really, it, it, again, I think it's I I I think it's a hundred percent a construct. But I feel like the what they are selling was surprisingly sweet. I don't think it's realistic. I think he's probably not like that. And the funny thing is. I was reading about his divorce later, and it was like, you know, he was very distant from his wife, and he didn't spend any time with her, and like his work and stress. And I, I, from what I get from like seeing the comedians and cars getting coffee interview between Jerry Seinfeld and him, he's like, 
you know, he's a very neurotic guy. He's got issues with depression. And but and, this movie, his first acting role, and it's like it's so weird. I can't. I can associate Howard as the character Howard in the Ivan yeah. Reitman production, and then there's real Howard. the real Howard. And, and I think he's at his best though in the movie when he's doing real Howard because when he's playing, and it's funny though because. Like some of the scenes, like this very first scene where he like fucks up something with the with the turntable. Yeah, he plays it so broad, yeah. and it's really shitty. He's like a he's like he's a like, loser. Oh my god, he's and so he, neurotic, and it's just it's so cute, and it's like because yeah. I think the but voice very are, poorly acted. And the thing I find funny is that he really when it really works is when he's doing Howard on the radio. That's where you go, oh, this is what he's doing. This is where he's. I mean, he he's he. he there are times he's he's a lot better than I would have thought he would be in the for film. For sure, yeah. Um, but it's such an inconsistent performance, but somehow still works because there's it's, he's, he's playing charming himself. and yeah. he's and it, there's a lot of charm to it. It, it. That it's I still don't understand how how they managed to pull that off because I again I I really don't like him, but you know I found myself charmed watching the movie. It was kind of a sweet you know light movie for what. I thought growing up because of the whole title and the way they market it was like this really edgy like Howard Stern and for a very micromanaged production like because yeah. Stern is you know de- yeah. breathing down screenwriters breathing down the yeah. studio and and he's like this is my top selling biography this is gonna make money so yeah. regardless of what you do make it make it right well that's it because it was in development since the early nineties and they went through hundreds of screenwriters and they chose uh, McGill President's uh, husband script Len Bloom from Montreal yeah. who is a yoga teacher in the city and I oh wow. I've been trying to like figure out what classes. To go to <laughs> if he's still teaching that's it get the inside scoop on private parts too um yeah it was it, it's a surprising movie in a lot of ways and and uh you know seeing an early you know pre big fame paul giamatti in the film is this just scene chewing nbc exec it was it was pretty great and you see what a lot of what like you know he's playing it really big and broad but you see a lot of what i guess you know became the giamatti style where he can play these big characters and like you take that giamatti character and you take him out of the genre that this movie is supposed to be a comedy, and you would think he's in a very serious drama. Like the, this character has his fucking job on the line, yeah. and and Stern is is really making it hard for him. And it's like that Giamatti character, unknown at the time, just really uh, lets it all out. Like he's not playing it for laughs; he's playing it to be that pain yeah. in the ass, like that jerk that we all know in management who wants to be your friend, but he's just this, you know, yeah, pig vomit or in this. I think it's <laughs> what do they call? Yeah, pig vomit. I think yeah. And uh, I, I didn't realize how many of, because I'm not super familiar with Stern, but um, the guy who plays his first sidekick there, the guy with the long hair. Fred, that's, yeah. Fred, that's a real guy on yeah, the show. Yeah. And Robin, yeah. Robin, who yeah. I knew, she was actually quite good in it, too. She she was more naturalistic than I would have thought. On my rewatch, I realized that she wasn't as good as I remembered, because ah. she has like three or four, maybe four or five like sequences where like when she meets Howard at WCCC in, in Washington, that's... Like her bonding with Howard is great. Even the confessionals when they cut back to Robin and and everyone in, time, in New York, uh, like the movie structure and its and its uh, and its plot of like you know just tracing Howard, but then the retrospective like the characters at the time talking about where they were at the moment, but then using the actors. There's a lot of like thing elements going on, but none of it ever gets confusing or convoluted. No, it's it never, really it never it, takes you out of the the fun of the movie. No, no, and it's a it's yeah, it's a very well put together thing, and I, I guess you know. Stern being so picky and choosy about who was involved, I feel like he probably had a good read on, on you know what what would make a good film, and and I think it worked out. You know, I mean, it, it really it's 
as good a movie as you can hope to get for a story about fucking Howard Stern, because it could it could have easily been a nightmare. For sure. I mean, if he went one way, where it's just like it would be nothing but obscenities and and, and yeah. gross out humor. But like, I don't know him for being for having gross out humor. But at oh well, he does. I mean, they had all sorts of stupid contests on his show, really exploitive well, stuff. The, but like, yeah, but like, big... I, that's also maybe you know maybe he says it's not me, it's the whack pack, it's like the other people on the show or whatever. You know the the. The cast of deplorables that like staffs that out, you know, drug addicts like Artie Lang. And <laughs> oh wow, yeah. See, oh, but like man. I'm not I, like I'd... sorry to Artie Lang. I don't know. That was really harsh. The rewatch part of it for me was just I wanted to show it to you for all the little nuggets of, of fun in it, especially because like you look at it from the the, the time capsule elements. Like here's yeah. here's a Paul Giamatti movie before he made it yeah. big, and like I say, uh, it's it's a Paul Giamatti movie, but he's maybe in like 20 minutes of it all all around. But he's just so incredible and like he stands his own and it's you come away from that movie thinking it's a Paul Giamatti movie not a Howard Stern movie yeah and uh rewatching it I just I was just excited I couldn't wait to see him because I, I remember him as a kid just being this like I hated him and there was nothing funny about him but there was a lot of funny things about the way Howard treated him because I mean I'm I just I'm a, I guess I'm a masochist where I just want to see someone else <laughs> suffer but yeah the Giamatti character really came uh, came through as like the best part of that movie yeah yeah, and it's kind of a weird and strange thing seeing it now, you know, as we're doing a podcast on the internet, seeing something about radio's yeah, hating. Exactly. And when, this is our second episode, so it seems kind of, you know, particularly uh, uh, appropriate to yeah, yeah. talk about it. Yeah, because I mean, I, I was never a big talk radio. You know, I listen to the radio and I'm in my hometown in Ottawa, but I mean, I never was like into talk radio and I didn't realize the scope and money that it made. I mean, his show was hugely successful. They made a lot of money, you know, and, and seeing, it was kind of interesting seeing his rise in the film because, you know, f for all of his faults and for as much as I find what he does distasteful, even if he doesn't believe in it, he understood what people wanted to hear and he understood what would sell on the radio. And it's like, I mean, you got to respect that, you know. That's... It's a delicate balance because here he is trying to, at the same time... Um, it's like correct the record, I feel like. this. Yeah, movie. he's trying to lessen... He's trying to soften his image, you know? Like, that's, that's that's a thing. But at the same time, he's trying to win over more people. And it's like, I feel like, is it dangerous to soften your image when you've already built yourself up to be so extreme? Your Is your audience that you have... Your devoted audience, are they going to come... It doesn't I, matter. I it's feel, a good movie. I feel yeah, like it yeah, doesn't matter. Yeah, it's a good movie. And I feel like he understood that his audience would listen no matter what. He didn't need to rewin them over. This movie was for everybody else who was like, Howard's a pig. And then they 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 really sell it as he's not a pig. He's a sweet guy, and you know what? They they sell it. They yeah. sell it. The movie in the world of the movie, you buy it. And yeah. you know, I'm a little bit more cynical, and I think you know there may be people like me who are like, this is all manufactured, just like everything he does. But you know what? I think, or you can have an open mind. Like yeah, I remember, maybe he isn't that bad. I, I don't know. When I, don't I was, know. Uh, I think I bought it from Music World. Or HM, before HMV, there was something called Music World. You could buy movies and VHSs and CDs at. <laughs> for and then all the millennials listening going, what is that? Music World from Toronto. Why did I do an old band voice for the millennials? <laughs> oh, back in my day. Oh, God. Well, you got to... <laughs> millennials? What were they again? They're the... They're, they're us? We're technically millennials. Okay. It's it's a generation that, that is like four generations. It makes no sense. It's like people okay. born up until like the late 70s. All the way to like the year two thousand, okay, early two thousands. Okay, so well, I mean, I uh, I had this movie. I bought it on VHS twelve ninety nine fourteen ninety five yeah. after tax, uh, and it was just like I lined it up because I as a kid I had all my Paramount movies together and my Universal movies together, and like 
I would on weekends rewatch and watch and whatever. And like, I think at one point I was desperate to get my mother to watch it because I thought she would like it because she liked comedies. And she was like, no, Howard Stern, whatever. Eventually I won her over and I was like, we're going to watch it. And did she like it? Well, that's the thing. She laughed the moment Alice and Janney finished that anecdote about uh, Howard trying to put a contest. Uh, make a contest where the listener with the largest bowel movement would win a free toilet <laughs> and my mother just lost it and I think that is the, uh, the 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 selling point like if you can watch Alice and Janney shit talk Howard but then like there's something about Alice and Janney opening that movie that 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 keeps you because it's like here's a yeah, confession yeah it grounds it right because yeah, exactly. they're like yeah he is kind of a fucking yeah, sicko he was but... sick he was disgusting he was obnoxious do you want me to go on anyways. and she's and Alice and Janney smoking a cigarette and yeah. it's just it's this it's a good framing device yeah and um the other element uh, of the movie that, that struck me was just the the Betty Thomas part, like getting this uh, this veteran uh, comedy director. She directed the um, the Leno Letterman takeover movie for HBO. Oh, the she, Late Shift. Yeah, she did that, and I I saw a bit of the Late Shift, and I can see it, like the cinema verite, the shaky camera, the network, mm. like not not just like network NBC, but like I, I'm talking about like the the. Um, the Sydney Lamette network, where it's just like the the bureaucracy of of a, of a television network in both uh, what the hell the, the Letterman movie and, and the private parts, because like there is a lot of of shade thrown at NBC in this movie, and I think NBC is a as a as a universal or a, now it's universal, now it's but universal, I th- but I think maybe it, not then. The, I don't back know. then, I think it might have been Viacom or I don't I don't know, but like at the same time, it's like NBC obviously is a very good sport for allowing this. Uh, to, Do you think though that they allowed it? Because I think they could have done it anyways because of fair use in the United States. Yeah, is that it? Uh, I mean, I don't know, but like I know yeah. that they. Um, I mean, they shot it outside the NBC studios when Howard got fired. When Robin got fired, they shot outside NBC, and right. uh, they have the NBC Page program parts going on. And uh, oh. there's a lot of like real NBC and like WNBC, and it's like <laughs> <laughs> that's a great. There are a lot like whenever I. Uh, that's the thing. After rewatching it, now I'm like telling people WNBC because like <laughs> it's just so so funny. Oh man. Um, but uh, yeah, just thinking about uh, re- the rewatching part of it, it's just it's so n- great. So how did you find it held up the second time around? Because for me, the first time around, you know, I went in with my hackles up, I guess, and uh, you know, it won me over. It won me over despite you know all the things I think about you know uh, 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 Stern. You know, I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was a well-made movie. It was pretty funny. You know, what like you said, it was a real treat seeing G- an early Giamatti going full Giamatti. That's, For sure, you know, and they like, never cut corners. Like you were in New York City, you were in Washington, you were in Boston, and yeah, like, it was a big production. And it was all shot on location for real in those places. It was a biopic. It was like kind of like a documentary. It was a uh, a road pick movie. It was a it was a buddy movie. It was a it was a it, it had all these little genres going very into it. classic Hollywood movie for sure. And from start to finish, and it's really, it's, uh, it's Paramount. I think all in all, because like Paramount is. It's just like it's the it's the mountain of, of movie making in, in the 90s in 96 at least I think in 97 96 it was shot but like in 97 you had uh, they had uh, private parts and they had face off and like I said they had Titanic and then you know next year would be the South Park movie and uh, no kidding wait South Park movie was 98 99 yeah well yeah that's the thing it came out uh, for 99 yeah. and then uh, I think Sherry Lansing is the CEO of Paramount or the uh, or the, she's somewhere. She's she's like yeah, they were big at the end of and the like 90s. there was a woman running Paramount from ninety two to two thousand two or oh, something. Female like that. CEO. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and wow. she uh, and she. I mean, I was reading this and she. I'm like, I don't know if it matters, but like, it's just interesting to have like a woman running Paramount and a woman directing the private 
parts movie. And then it's, I don't know, there was something about that movie felt like that's where we should be today. You know, there's a movie where you don't have to pick out the gender politics or, or to notice these things. It just, it just happened. And, uh, I don't know. I don't see Betty Thomas doing anything these days. She made John Tucker must die recently, like years back. And Wait, John, Tuck- what is that? That was like a Hayden Panettiere cheerleader movie where like these girls and the guy from uh, Desperate Housewives and Passions, Jesse oh, Metcalf maybe was, it, it was a teen uh, rom-com. She's not doing stuff like, like no, oh, as big as Oh, she did the uh, Alvin Squeakle, I think. Really? And then she did, uh, oh, boy. before that she did the I Spy with Owen Wilson and Eddie Murphy. And then she, but she did the Brady Bunch movie. And I, if you look at Brady Bunch movie and Private Parts, both are Paramount movies. But didn't the Brady Bunch movie do badly? Uh, financially? Yeah. I don't think so. I think like if it had, let's say hypothetically, it had a $15 million budget, it probably doubled it. Because like, yeah. uh, I know like, home video in those days is like the, it's, it's the gold rush of, yeah. of money. Because it's like, yeah, the movie doesn't make money, but give it a year. We'll see how the video sales do. Yeah. Because like. Now nothing makes money on, on VOD. No way. Oh, it's really bad. Yeah. It's internet. It's overseas now where money happens. It's. Uh, yeah. But in theatrical release, but like home video everywhere, it's dead because nobody buys Blu-rays anymore. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, I remember finding Nemo was like the highest selling dvd or vhs ever and then the that was kind of the end that was that was once blu-rays came out that was the beginning of the end i think um but coming back to private parts um so the second time around like for me like i was won over and what was your what was your feel overall kind of um it was it was so pleasant i mean i just enjoyed watching it from like from a non-howard stern perspective like it's a story of a man just make, as a straight-ahead movie, taking it at face value. Ex- exactly, and this time it was the music that won me over. It was just how how fast uh, one sequence left to another. So, were you able to, to the second time around take it more at face value than you did the first time? Because I came in with a lot of baggage. It was a lot. Like this is probably the first time I've watched it since film school. And there is that perspective when you watch a movie before and after film school. It's like when I went to film school, my professor was like. Uh, after today, you'll never watch movies the same again. You're either you're going to criticize, you're not going to you're going to critique, and you're going to look at everything. And then somebody was like, "Well, doesn't that make movies worse?" I said, "No, it just makes a better movie better and a bad movie worse." And uh, with this movie, it was like they put so much effort into into just creating the, the 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 time and space, and that was something initially I just passed over, glossed over, took took for granted. Like, but Ivan Reitman got all the. 1982 Chrysler's at the right moment and he made sure that there was the right uh, stickers for the radio like he they really went out to create a time and space and shout out to the art department oh I mean this <laughs> but it's a Paramount production and like it's a it's a Howard Stern production and Ivan Reitman so you got these people of talent who are making something that is going to be good and they're not cutting corners and I feel like because he spends probably maybe 10 minutes uh, per city until he makes it to New York and then New York's kind of like the, uh, the the end boss the end game but uh, when you're in Detroit and you're in Boston, or no, uh, Detroit and, and Connecticut and all these places, like you really get that you are back in time here. And especially with Howard as your like guide through it, it uh, was it was good on the rewatch. I'd watch it again. I think that's ultimately oh, okay. the point. That's that's interesting. So it would do. I would probably watch it again um, just to kind of watch it without the baggage of like trying to figure out if I'm being played by Howard Stern and the cameos. Like at the beginning of the movie, you get. Uh, I think you get. Um, uh, oh get, right, the 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 because the fart man at the MTV Awards. You yeah, get all those you get musicians. you get real Ozzy Osbourne, you get real Slash, you get real MC Hammer, you get uh, MC Hammer was there. He's one of these like guys just chilling behind oh. stage, and like uh, Camille Grammer, Kelsey Grammer's wife, is uh, one of the models who uh, is in Westchester, New York, and she's cold, 
and she's like showing the signs like yeah by the way Howard wants you to take your top off no he didn't say I don't oh my that's god Kendall that's grammar that's Kelsey Grammer's wife <laughs> ex-wife ex okay right right but she's all... also I think a real housewife of New York too if she, uh, I think so I think she's yeah they I, I I know that his wife or ex-wife was a real housewife I didn't know which one so that's okay that's what it yeah is. and I and um yeah and uh, I was looking at uh, just all the talent again involved like I mean when you get you get so uh, when you get so into a movie like for me whenever I get into a movie I get into it like I'm gonna watch this movie to death and then I'll come back to it if it's still like I need to have the full experience of it and it's like you know uh, Betty Thomas we've talked about her Ivan Reitman I mean I can't really tell you if he's like if he's a profound producer or if he's like actually like uh, what his favorite movie what my favorite movies of his are but this is probably it I mean he produced up in the air with his son and it's like, oh you're talking about outside of the stuff he directed yeah exactly like this is something that I think everyone involved could be proud of especially cinematographer Walt Lloyd <laughs> Walt Lloyd I don't actually know this is funny because we talked about this last episode he's, in, he's ASC ASC the American Society of Cinematographers that's his only IMDb trivia uh, entry is that he's a member of the ASC yeah and then well, what other films has he done? He did the Santa Claus. I know that for sure because I remember when I watched the Santa Claus. He must have been an older guy then. Ninety five, and then he did Private Parts two years later, or a year later. Did he stop making movies in the nineties? Because that means he's he old. went on to TV. He went Is on. Is he to... still shooting? Is he still working? Yeah, he's doing. I think the last knowable thing he did was the Librarians. This is a sci-fi show called. Anyway, he's oh. he's doing. But that's the thing. In the last like ten years, he's doing TV, and I think okay. the last movie he did, I couldn't even tell you. But at, at the same time. Like the the movie, when you think of like the cinematography, it has that sepia tone at the beginning, right? It has that yeah, like that yeah. uh, that nostalgia kind of filter when Howard's growing up, and then as it gets to NBC, it's it's there's nothing aesthetically kind of showy about about. Uh, no, they do it a little more cinema verite style. Yeah. They keep it pretty grounded, and that was uh, that created a lot of energy. And I, and again, like I'm a big uh, in the years since I've watched Private Parts, I've grown to see a lot of other movies, right? And so. Watching Private Parts, I was impressed at how many references to other movies it kind of uh, calls back on, like especially um, Patty Chayefsky's Network. I find a lot of Howard is kind of like the Howard, uh, oh, the Howard of Network. What the hell's his name? He's the guy who says, uh, "Mad as hell, I'm not going to take it anymore." There's another Howard in this movie taking down another network. So I thought that was kind of cool. And then the uh, the whole, uh, oh my gosh, the uh, oh, I lost my train of thought. It doesn't matter. It's okay. So yeah, it was it was a good watch. Uh, uh, I, I'm surprised at how much I liked it. And um, we we initially were planning. We tried to follow it up with uh, <laughs> Eric uh, Bogorjan and Oliver Stone's talk radio. Talk radio. Was, yeah, we it, didn't yeah. It didn't we didn't get into it that much. And that was almost maybe too similar. Like it was like a, a mirror universe version of Private Parts. And I guess I think Bogosian's character is actually maybe based on Stern because it was a film that was in the late eighties when yeah. Stern was getting pretty big, I think. So I don't know, but it was it you had a lot of similarities there, but we didn't end up finishing that one. That wasn't the film. And uh, you know, cut to a week later and it's Halloween. And what did we decide to watch? But John Carpenter's nineteen seventy eight film Halloween, which I had never seen, and John had never seen. I'd never so this seen is it. this is a watch rewatch. This is watch s- deleting the rewatch part. <laughs> this is just watch watch. Right. Um. And it was uh. It was uh. I don't know. It, it was hard for me to get into it only because I think horror films have evolved so much since then. I, I appreciate. That's the thing. It's a weird experience sometimes watching films too late or like not yeah. not in their era because I found that when I watched it. I didn't. I didn't appreciate it as much as I thought I should. 
Um, or rather, no, sorry, I didn't get into it as much as I thought I should. I appreciated it from kind of like a like a like a scholarly point of view, where I was like, I get you know the history of it, and I get that they were doing stuff, POV stuff, and and kind of you know you know continuing some of the stuff that. Hitchcock did in, well, in it's in, it's an independent movie shot for nothing it, yeah it uh, they made up a lot of rules as they went along they, they I think but then I mean that goes to show like with the three I mean three hundred thousand dollars in 1969 is, was still low how yeah. much is that today like a million bucks oh I don't know I, 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 I can't do inflation but at the no. same time it's like you give because I was reading about the I know it was low for the era even then yeah and like Carpenter was 30 or 29 when he made it like really? our like yeah. our age and like he uh yeah, he got the the money from the producer. Oh my god! Oh, the big name up front there, Akadan or something. Anyway, the Stranger Things font, and he uh, and like I mean, I'm I have no, I didn't look into him at all because like we just watched this recently. But I just yeah. imagine this guy was like, you know, making money doing whatever. Let's say he was owned a big clothes warehouse or something, or a clothing uh, you know warehouse overseas, and would make money. And John Carpenter comes up to him and says, "Oh, I have this script, and I'm and uh, I'd love." 300 grand please 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 and he's like all right here's some money go make your movie well i know carpenter didn't take uh, a fee he took uh i think he took no fee but 10 or 20 percent of the gross and it actually went on to make a lot of money the 47 million i think is what it made i was reading 74 that. i think but then but that which which equivalent today was like 250 million dollars in today's money i remember that, that. And, and that producer guy he's i mean i don't think this producer i can't even remember his name but he i don't think he anticipated that this lucrative business could you know, facilitate more money. And so he's like, holy shit, I'm going to make more Halloween movies because of this. And Yeah, they and made a bunch, eh? Because he saw it as, like, just dollar signs, I guess. But um, it was a real Hallmark film, I think, for, like, American slasher movies. I, I you know, maybe correct me if I'm wrong. Um, I think it is considered one of the first slasher movies. Like, I think... What, like, like, outside of, like, what Hitchcock did, it was the first, like, what we've come to know as the modern slasher put you movie. In the put you in the killer's POV kind of thing. Well, not even, I mean, but just, like, the blood and guts and the, like, you know, um, the whole thing, the trope of, like, the people that have sex die first. I think that was one of the first movies where that those kind of ground rules were, were established. Right. And then you just, and then you, exactly. So now that we've been, like, kind of spoiled, let's say, with, like, countless movies that just kind of borrowed from this, and then we come back to the original. It, it was harder to, to, to exactly. appreciate it as I think you would when you first saw it. So that was a bit of a challenge for me watching it because, you know, I, I understood that maybe if I'd seen that when it came out or I hadn't been spoiled by all of these movies, because it felt derivative, but that's only because I've seen all of these movies that have copied it. So... It was it was a weird experience to watch it because it kind of lessened the enjoyment in some aspects. I mean, it was still I still appreciated the way it was actually Dean Cundey, who's a fantastic DP, shot the film, and um, a lot of really long takes, nice steady cam work. Yeah, well, um, that's I guess uh, to save money. I guess the long takes so that you don't have to set up more. I guess just well, it, it's definitely something that you can do on independent because they only shot that movie in twenty days, and a good long take can take. Oh, it's not necessarily faster, but if you have a good crew, you get it set up quickly. You choreograph it correctly. That's and, it. You uh, can you can cover a lot. That would exactly. take a lot longer yeah, yeah, if you yeah. did it studio style. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, I noticed with that, uh, wa re or watching it, 
last night and and it just I was so critical of it. I was calling out its its uh, its lack of of, of autumn uh, the autumn. Yeah, because they shot it in in the spring in Northern California, and we're we're ripping it up. It's like oh the the, the art department scattered some brown leaves around. Yeah, being and, dismissive. I mean, because we watched it with a group of people, so it was one of those things where it was like fun to like laugh. But I felt at like it. that group in but Scream, I, you know, watching Halloween on, on Halloween, and it was it was it, it yeah. Was, it's like it was a more interactive experience. But I mean, really, I think you know if. If I'm not actually going to level those criticisms at it genuinely, that was more for the fun with the audience because I think most of it, you know, I think they did a great job with what they had, but it was it was definitely more fun to kind of pick it apart watching it in a group in a group setting. But um, going through the film, Jamie Lee Curtis's first uh, first major film, and um, being the daughter of uh, Janet Leigh, right? Yeah, yeah, Lee. Yeah. Lee, sorry, Lee. Look at me, I don't even know how to pronounce yeah. the names. Um, being the daughter, uh, apparently that was a, a very specific choice uh, by Carpenter because he knew that, you know, people would draw parallels, you know, between the two. And, uh, yeah, I mean, she did a great job, you know, for, for for what she was tasked with, you know, kind of being a bit of a maternal figure, you know, to those little kids, being strong, being, you know, kind of the, the you know, the heroine in, and uh, of the film. But it was still like, I don't know, it was it was it didn't strike me as like her best thing because she was young and I guess maybe not as experienced like I wasn't super impressed with the performance but I also think maybe she didn't have that much to work for with sure in, she in felt writing. I'm sure she felt nervous doing it and I mean she's yeah, got she's her. got Tony Curtis and Janet Lee at home saying oh hi, hey honey how's that how was work how's your shoot going can we, yeah. can we see any can we see any dailies kind of yeah, thing she was 19 at the time wow and she yeah. the, as, the, honestly I'm, I mean she hasn't aged a day even though she has she still looks great kind of thing yeah but uh, we were spoiled you know we know that there are nine Halloween movies we know that Michael never they dies nine Halloween movies I think so I think it's wow. like nine yeah and uh, I think it's nine. I, I don't know. I that don't... makes sense, though. A lot of those franchises would, and they went through. They, they go through producers. They go through like yeah, eras, and uh, they kill Michael in all of them. And uh, it just it it sucks because like you know it, it's it's like um, it's like when you watch uh, a season one of any show, you know that that's not going to be the best season. It's going to get you know once people get their footing and, and that, it's are, that, I'm curious because critically, are some of the later Halloweens considered better than the first one? No, it gets worse. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. I oh, think because uh, sometimes some movies, some horror franchises, you know, uh, the Nightmare on Elm Street series, for example, uh, it gets worse. But then Wes Craven does this super meta movie called Wes Craven's New Nightmare. It was the last of the, um, and that one's good. That one is good because it's not a nightmare movie. It's about the actress played by the real actress who's now being tortured by Freddy Krueger in the real world. And Wes Craven plays oh, himself. Wow. And um, <laughs> who was the actor who plays Freddy Krueger? Pat. Uh, oh, Robert Englund. He plays himself in it. And oh, it's yeah. like there's like a there's a Freddy coming out through the film strip. I mean, I've seen bits and pieces of it, but that movie takes a whole other direction and uh, this was like 95 that's and it's a hard 90s horror movie that's just this actress being tormented by the character from the horror movie she started as a kid so it so that's a franchise where it, it did get yeah. not better but there's a good one because the last halloween movie i think has buster rhymes in it and they're they're <laughs> wow. it's buster rhymes so and, it went for a long time that would have been late 90s 2000s uh 2000 i think i think it was the summer of signs so maybe 2003 or two yeah yeah because wow. uh h2o buster came out rhymes. halloween 20 years later i think that was 1999 or something like that 
And that, was she and she was back in it, right? She was back in one. I don't know. If, I think she was in the second Halloween. I don't know, but she was in the Halloween H two O ninety nine with Josh Hartnett and Michelle Williams and LL Cool J. Yeah, and she, I think I saw that one. She cuts off his head with an axe at the end of that movie, and you're like, okay, boom, Michael's dead. Jamie Lee Curtis finally got away with it. But yeah. then the next movie comes. He's always out, back. And this one movie is like a found footage movie where all these Bust, Buster Rhymes and like some. I, I'm judging it from the trailer, but Buster Rhymes and some people go inside the um, the Loomis house, the Michael Myers house, or whatever the hell. And they all have cameras, and they're all just like, "Ooh, look, we're we're doing this." And Michael happens to be in the house, uh, but I think spoiler: Jamie Lee dies in the first eight minutes of that movie. Oh wow! See, I, I don't know, I don't know what, um, I don't know, like the the. It, I find it weird because Michael's mythology, he's not supernatural. He's just a like a, a mental patient, and somehow he he never dies. Yeah, because like, like Jason, I understand, and I feel like Jason came later, and Jason took that conceit, but like added the like you know going to hell or back like he's he's supernatural i don't even know those movies i mean even the first friday the i've 13th, never seen no and then that's the thing these movies they're they're that's infamy. another one we got to add they're infamy and and the uh and just like the the assumptions that people make when it comes to these franchises are often incorrect like in the first friday the 13th jason is just the the story that makes the killer who who she is it's jason's mother's the killer in the first one Oh really? Yeah, and then uh, at the summer camp, and then the second—I guess later on, Jason became a character, but Jason wasn't in the first Friday the Thirteenth, and so it's like because now we've been spoiled with all these trickled down, uh, you know, franchises and and horror, horror movie tropes that just mimic one another. When we go back to the original, we're not gonna enjoy it at all in the same way. Like no. No, for me, it was really kind of like watching a historical document where I, or, I I get it. I get what they were doing. But like, you know, there were takeaways. I liked the cinematography. The score was, you score know. score was great. Yeah. And, and like, you know, I've heard the, sc- I heard the score before I saw the movie because, I mean, you can't not hear it. It's it's every Halloween or it's, it's you know, it's very, very, you know, iconic. Um, but yeah, the film itself, it just didn't, it fell flat a little bit because I think, you know, you know exactly what to expect only because you've seen all of the movies that imitate that film. So it was tough because watching, there are times where I can watch things that like have, that are like the first of a well-established yeah. genre and enjoy it. And especially coming with something with like a lot of reputation, a lot of, a lot of um, praise too. So it's like, especially that, cause like you don't want to praise something too much and then people's expectations go down. Like I think when we were watching private parts, I kept saying, Oh, Giamatti's coming. Giamatti's coming. Yeah, and But I, I enjoyed that for what it was, even though like, you know, it's, it's a formula you've seen a lot. I, I was able to enjoy that more, but I think something about horror tropes, I feel like it's even maybe more conservative than a movie like private parts where private parts is like following a Hollywood formula, but the moment to moment stuff is unique to Howard Stern and his humor and all that stuff. But I feel like horror movies, because it's just mostly killing and there's not like it's they're not really about the plot or even the jokes right. or the dialogue when you when you get exposed to that formula over and over again then to go back and watch the first film there's less to to kind of latch on to right you and know? i was very much uh uh impressed by how uh, uh how much how um oh my god the, the feeling of, of of dread in that movie like the movie wasn't about solving the mystery of michael it was about experiencing those moments of dread like but at the same time the characters were doing things that just you know yeah, still whole, to this day the dumb character trope the the well the people are doing dumb things yeah, like, to like service the plot uh, exactly audiences yelling at the screen saying no don't do that i mean that's part of the fun and that's definitely a reaction that any filmmaker any kind of studio wants is people to be invested in saying oh no don't but i remember we were i was losing my my shit when the the doctor and the nurse were driving up to the conservatory and 
There's she a, rolls down she the rolls window down the when window. there's like clearly a bunch of crazy people and like, rain and, yeah. and and she rolls it up rolls it down from uh, I don't know why she did it but anyway the guy got the car and he ran off and uh, you know you you excuse it and then at the same time it's like John Carpenter didn't want didn't expect this thing to be like in the AFI or to make all these right. m- make all this money he just knew in his head that he had a good idea no and I think like all of those things in and of themselves aren't really egregious flaws it's only because we've seen them every fucking horror movie yeah. that you're just like oh this is so yeah it's really weird sometimes doing the rewatch on stuff that like is or is... just the watch because even though this is our first yeah, watch right but it, it, it felt, felt like, like a rewatch. rewatch totally it was like the prototypical horror movie. Of, of that slasher genre, you know, because I think that it's one of the first and certainly it for me, it's the earliest one I've seen because, you know, stuff like Psycho, it's it's people call it a slasher movie, but it's more of a psychological horror movie. It's a little yeah. bit, it's not, it's not, it, it's it, what, you know, it doesn't have the formula that Halloween, I feel like Halloween created that formula, like that very specific, like, you know, and, and also like all the women that die in the movie have like weirdly sexual like they they're they're screaming but it's like weirdly sexualized yeah. like there's this whole angle to it that's strange and like you know i find i found it a little bit unsettling but at the same time i guess that's you know part of what was selling tickets at the time it sure. was like it was a sexy horror movie you know it was and something you like could watch in the drive in yeah. like you could like like us last night we can tune in and out yeah. and and john carpenter would you know warn us with the music when we should start tune back ten. in exactly yeah. yeah no and that's what i liked about it it was a great thing to watch cuz we watched it last night you know halloween uh, had a bunch of people over, and everybody was really, you know, like you're having fun, you're laughing, you're making fun of it, you're, you're, you know, you're, you're yelling at the people on the screen. So I think from from a participatory angle and for like a group viewing thing, I get it. I think had I watched it on my own, I probably wouldn't. I would have liked it almost not at all. Right. You know, because yeah. I would just be like, you this. Know. Uh, yeah, there were a lot of. Well, first of all, I I thought the. Uh, the cinematography was excellent, and the score was excellent. Dean Cundy, what up? And the uh, just the, I was just impressed that I was entertained by it, and mm. yet so not scared. I was never no, no. Yeah, scared. I never, no, I was, and I I read reviews for it after. Roger Ebert gave it a hundred. James Berardinelli gave it a hundred, and it's just like I think the the consen- at the time did they find it scary. I'm uh, sure they did. I mean, they must have. Uh, I mean, in this, well, that's the thing: conditioning an audience. It's like in 1959. I think Psycho was the first movie that showed a toilet flushing on screen, and so it's like audiences wow. never seen a toilet flush. Okay, but and then in the si- seven, 1970, I guess when audiences, well, when did this movie get an audience? Like, did it have 12 people opening weekend, and then then was it 4,000? Apparently, it was big, like largely. I was about to say bigly. <laughs> Donald Trump is ruining America <laughs> and the world. Much, much, uh, much, much, much more smarter. That's it. Uh, <laughs> It was bigly. It was uh, it was uh, largely word of mouth uh, okay. that that drove that movie's success, um, which makes sense because I guess if you haven't seen a movie like that and that comes out, yeah, you know, and and like the fun we had in an audience, you'd be like, oh, you got to go see this. Get a bunch yeah, of friends yeah. and go see but it. But that's what Eber was saying too in his review. He was like, this is an audience picture. Like you you yeah. you get there yeah. and you're you're just in, like invested with the audience. And I think that was the first of its kind. Like you're not gonna go see Psycho and get the same kind of reaction. Like when no. Mar- Marion Crane's getting stabbed, you're going, yeah, like no, no, no. Know. It's too, it's too straight ahead. It's too serious. It's kind of so dark. That's the thing. Everything's light enough in Halloween that you don't really take it yeah, seriously. Yeah, and none of the characters are especially likable. And so it's no. just like, you're. and Michael was very sympathetic in that movie. And I don't know if it's because I knew that they were related, the Jamie Lee Curtis and the Michael Myers character, because I know that they're brother and sister from like other movies. And so it's like, I didn't know how much mythology we were going to get in this movie. And then when it just ended... The ending just... was great. The ending, that was the part. Everybody it was just like... 
Yeah, it it it, it you know he disappears, he disappears and then it shows like a montage of all the different homes and the places. He could be here, yeah. he could be there. Yeah, and then ends and it was like wow, you get like, chills because it you're is because like, it was like an ominous, unhappy ending and like really quick like this isn't over. This is just the beginning. Yeah, but then who's to know that? Like that's it sucks because we know what's we're in a very uh, interesting position of knowing what's going to come later, how many movies we're going to get, and yeah, and even I, having not seen them, just reading yeah. about them, and you know them being in pop culture for so long. But uh, and I'm thinking of the whole time I'm watching it, I'm thinking of Scream, Wes Craven's Scream. Kevin Williamson wrote the the script for it, and like it, this, it Scream is like you know the uh, yes yeah, Scream. They're deconstructing the genre. Yeah, and the the opening of Scream is probably the best work Drew Barrymore will ever do just that she she na- she nails fear she nails the, the the tragedy and the sadness of being stalked and she's going to get murdered and she just lives it but then at the end of Scream they're all watching Halloween on Halloween kind of what we did but this but the killers in the house and the Jamie Kennedy video store character is watching uh, watching Halloween and the killers watching him watch Halloween and it's like there are so many elements going on. I feel like I've just been like spoiled and like you know. Yeah. Uh, You've lived in this kind of metatextual environment yeah. for too long. That, that like to watch how like I need to not watch media for a couple of years. Like kind of just bleach my eyes and then maybe go to Halloween and then maybe my like yeah go in real cold. Yeah, it's tough. It really like that's and that's my I think my biggest problem watching like a lot of older films is that. I'm spoiled by modern conventions. Yeah. And again, where I can always, you know, and I think the best of the older stuff, and I think, too, it's, it's a bit of an indictment of Halloween because it's it, its strengths are are, are are largely formal, I think. And, like, because, again, like, it's horror movies are, are not really about the plot. They're about the... The, the visceral... The visceral of... reaction, and that's, like, created through how they edit it and stage it and make the music, and they scare you. So once you've been exposed to that, you can't unsee that. So... It doesn't have the same effect. Whereas I think with a really good plot, a really good plot's a really good plot. So even if the conventions are something you've seen before, you can be won over by the plot. And I think that's a, a, makes a lot of genre pictures kind of a dis. You know, it does them a disservice because they're harder to watch sometimes and really like. You know, you can't. You know, some some of them stand the test of time perfectly. Like I, you know, Strange I think, Love. I, well, I mean, if, if we're talking about old horror movies, uh... Aliens. Excuse me, Alien, Alien, the first one. I feel like that would be a good one. Have you seen it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's yeah. a, that's a horror movie, and the second one's an action movie, and the third yeah. one's a drama. And but the I watched ones. I watched Alien again, and you know, uh, that was one where I found that there was enough there, even though this it's the same kind of plot, people getting picked off one by one. But the production design is so incredible, and you you see stuff that even though you've seen shades of it before, it's it's so unique and distinctive that. That one was enough where I was like, I was in it. I was in yeah. it the whole way. Where Halloween, I think there's less to go on. Maybe because it was low budget as well and because of all this stuff that like the, the, the structure is so familiar that you can't be affected by it. Well, but if it was a plot thing, if it was like the story was so there, then I would I would still be able to kind of hook into it and right. engage with it. No, I, I, I think that the problem with, uh, with Halloween essentially was that it... It set up, it put all its cards on the table at the beginning with the murder of of that Michael's sister, but she gets stabbed and it's as if she just got hit in the face with a wet towel. It's like ow, and then she dies. And I just find that I've seen much more. You've seen a lot harder stuff, harder deaths, and harder rea- harder reactions to death. Better better actresses or whatever dealing with death. Yeah. And I just feel like oh okay, that's how you're gonna die in this. And then yeah. the deaths kept coming in that that fashion where it just didn't. F- uh, but that maybe is part of the charm too. Is that like a, a lighter horror movie where like the deaths are there, but they're not that graphic, and they don't hit you so hard. 
where you can have fun watching the movie and be like, oh, this is scary, but not really. It's fine. Because right. like some horror movies are so extreme and so unrelenting that you're just you you walk out of it and you're depressed and you feel awful and you're like you like you're actually shaken. That I feel like is maybe uh, it doesn't lend itself to like a, being a great crowd pleaser as much. So I think that maybe is a strength of Halloween too. Is that like you know everything is real and I think maybe maybe some of it is like just acting choices of the time because the acting is involved yeah, it to is, get more naturalistic over time. It's you know? a product of its own time and yeah. like you know if if you. It's like us rewatching Private Parts. If I were to show Private Parts to somebody today who's nine or ten and they watch it, I mean, they're not they're going to enjoy it from the uh, the same level as I did because I didn't care about Howard Stern's biography or whatever. But just the idea of this guy growing up, it's a funny movie. But with this one, you're going to be just probably a little bit bored and a little bit amused by how that this movie was taken so seriously. But yeah. then it's like you wouldn't have all the things you have now. Like going back to Alien, I find what made Alien so terrifying was that here was a team, like a, a team of astronauts. And they all hated each other, or they all—they were all distant, and they didn't—they didn't have each other's back, and they were always down each other's throat. And it's like they're so distant, and they're so—they—they're not a, a team, and they're—they—they're they're isolated in space, but they're also isolated from each other. And there's this creature picking them off one by one, and you, as the audience, are like, "Well, I don't know who to—who I want to root for, but I want them all to just be friends and to get out of here." But it yeah. just doesn't happen. And when you're alone, when they're alone, and you're alone, and you're in that theater, and you're watching that movie, it's just—it's so bleak, and yeah. and, and but. Uh, hauntingly beautiful that movie is i think that's one i think i'd love to do a rewatch of uh again just and talk about it because there's so much going on but i think wrapping it up with halloween uh it was it was definitely uh a fun a fun watch with a group of people and you know fun to make fun of the conventions and and that and it's it's strange seeing that because you know i don't i actually don't think that's disrespectful in any way certainly not i think those films they're designed like that, and I think, or, or maybe maybe that wasn't the intent when they came out, but I feel like now that's like a movie like that that can bring people together in a room to laugh and to poke fun and at it. And it's infamy, too. It's like if you haven't seen Halloween, yeah. you're going to, like when you said we're watching Halloween. Everybody I was, was like, yeah. yeah. I haven't seen it. Let's do it. And I think, you know, you should watch it at least to have it under your belt. But, but if you do watch it, watch it with a group of friends. Have some drinks. You know, and whatever else you want to do, and like just kind of get into it. Yeah, turn off the lights. That kind of turn off the lights. You know, it's like don't have. It can't be just a sausage fest. You know, have a mix of people. (laughs) You know, and really like I feel. I feel like I don't know. Yeah, sausage. I mean, maybe if it was a sausage fest, you had some gays and some straights. Because yes, because at the same time, it's like the straights can enjoy the titties, and the gays can enjoy the. The flower beds in the house. I don't know. Or the pumpkins. Oh, that pumpkin was perfectly carved. Oh my god. Um. Uh, yeah, it was really, yeah, it was a really fun watch in a group, and uh, I'm happy I saw it. I mean, I don't, I actually don't think I'd maybe want to watch it again unless I saw it with another different group of people. But as a film on its own, if you're like, let's watch Halloween again, I go, mm, I don't know, I don't, I'm not sure I need to, and I'm not sure there's much to be gained from a rewatch. Um, mainly because it's so simple. It's really simple. And again, that's not a criticism of it. It's just everything's We've been there. Spoiled. We're, we're, we're it, millennials yeah. and the millennials have all been spoiled up to this point. And you watch it. I mean, uh, I watched the Zom- Rob Zombie Halloween. Yeah. And the first 50 minutes of that movie are much more terrifying than the the, the entirety of the John Carpenter because the Rob Zombie one is 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 rooted in like the everyday. It takes place in like a very like poverty ridden town and you know the same same element but like the the Michael Myers origin story 
in the zombie movie is just depressing and bleak and this kid is abused and ignored and he's just he's killing animals and it's just it's terrifying oh, God. but that's it's like i guess in the 21st century that's what audiences want out of horror is something that's relatable and and and, and un- yeah well and there's that whole like trend towards naturalistic kind of horror or stuff that's it's maybe not naturalistic i'm sure if it's rob zombie it's still heightened yeah uh, and like kind of artificial but it, there's still like I guess the the exposure over time means that you can't do what worked in Halloween and have it still scare people because those things maybe seem dated in 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 retrospect, you know, or rather in comparison. There's the scene at the in Hall in Carpenter's Halloween when uh, the one boy uh, gets bullied by those kids and uh, they're like, "Boogeyman's gonna get you," blah blah blah. In Halloween, there's a bully. There's a bullying scene that's just like five or six minutes long, where they're like, "I, I if I, memory serves right, they like." pull down his pants or they throw pee at him like it's just it's the worst kind of torture on what eventually becomes this monster michael myers so now we're sympathizing with the monster that yeah all these other movies have built on but it's just rob zombie was just so relentless with that character to say like this is why he's a monster yeah because he grew up around monsters and it's like okay and uh, yeah and it's like you know at the same time i don't do do horror movie characters need that kind of backstory i don't know i think it, it actually seems like it might be interesting but I think that was maybe again. It's a modern sensibility to kind of flush those things out. And watching the 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 original Halloween, I think at the time you didn't even need to do that because it was so shocking. Yeah. Because it hadn't been, you know. Now you kind of need a backstory because people are going to go, well, why? What motivates this guy? But if you see, you know, a film like Halloween when you first see it, you don't even need that because just seeing that film is like, whoa, oh my god, did you see what he did and yeah. all this stuff. So now I think it's like now you have to have backstory and but I think sometimes there's something that's lost when you know how how you know I find a lot of horror movies fall apart when you know how the the system works you know there's something scary in not knowing you know and not having it explained but and, but uh, yeah and then people telling you well, word of mouth it's like oh, I'm not going to tell you just go see it like the Blair Witch Project I mean yeah. that movie is they terrifying and they don't spell very much out in the film either in and, Halloween no in in Blair, in Blair Witch, Witch like, yeah you don't know much of the mechanics of it you know and. Uh, I don't think I'd rewatch that movie, but I could still say to this day that it's a terrifying movie. Like, yeah, I, I oh yeah, it scared the shit out of me it, when I saw it. It wouldn't be something I would rewatch or put on the background. But see that that you know what? It's actually a good point of comparison because I feel like the Blair Witch Project is probably had a similar effect to Halloween when Halloween came out. Sure, because Blair Witch, you know, uh, was experimenting with the form, you know, the found footage that was, you know. Maybe one of the first big found, the first big found footage horror film. Where the whole premise laid on, we found footage. Found footage and the like fake reality of it. So the plot, again, in that movie is not not anything to write home about. But the experiential element is terrifying. Absolutely. Because you feel like you're living the it. The whole movie, you know that these tapes are found without the filmmakers. So you're like, well, where? when does the recording stop in this yeah. movie? And so just even talking about it, I'm getting chills thinking about it. Yeah. But then that's the movie. It's not It's not so, fun to watch The Bear Witch Project, but I can say yeah. that it's a... But it's that's cool that because so, so that feels like a real modern, you know, that's maybe how people felt when they saw Halloween when it came out. Because, yeah. you know, may, you hadn't seen anything like Halloween at the time. And you have this brutal first person sequence that starts it off. Yeah. And people getting picked off one by one and the, you know... 
the sexiness and the fun and the scariness. And yeah, and then it kind of, it took on a life of its own, right? It's like people watched Halloween over and over and over again because they'd never seen it before. So then all of a sudden it's like, oh, well, Halloween's great because it had these sex characters, these sex crazed characters and, and the gruesome murders and it's just... Yeah, and then you start having the rules of horror movies kind of develop and you see a lot of other filmmakers start to use those as a framework, but also as like this kind of strange mythology. Right, and then John Carpenter goes on to do Escape from New York and then he goes on to do... Uh, the Thing, I think, in 1982 or something? Yeah, The Thing was after. Thing was, oh my God, Thing is amazing. That's another movie I'd love to talk and about. And they were watching The Thing in that movie, in Halloween. Yeah, the original Thing. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, Which I was, want, what, in the 50s? Uh, Howard Hawks, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. But I love it when, in a movie, the main characters watch a movie. Uh, they did it in Private Parts. They watched uh, Howard's student film, and they watched uh, this uh, Britney Fairchild movie. And I just like the idea of the fictional characters in a movie theater watching a movie because it just it's so layered it's like i'm watching them watch a movie watching a movie anyway that i'm a big i'm a big fan of that that's it well uh this movie is going to come to an end the the movie of watch rewatch that's uh that's our show for this week that's uh, great yeah it's uh it's been an hour it's been real and uh we'll be hitting you up next week with a couple of new films uh yet to be determined but always interesting so uh for this week i'm Sean and i'm John And that's it. That's the show. See you guys next week. Bye.